Hello, and welcome back to the Joint Venture Podcast. Inspiration Insights. My name is Oliver, and I am joined this week by our senior reporter, Zachary Skidmore. Hello, Oliver. And by our energy and infrastructure analyst, Kapusin Gie. Hi, Oliver. Hi, Zach. It's been a very busy week. Today, we're going to go over a lot of the policy changes in the UK, the US, and the EU that have been affecting the energy transition in the last few months, including the latest machinations of the IRA, Inflation Reduction Act, and the latest results for the consultation on the UK's REMA review of energy market arrangements. But first, as always, we're going to start by looking at the latest week's news. Zach. Thank you, Oliver. So there were several news stories that we came across that we really want to talk about this week. The first being Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners, who announced an acquisition of a majority share in the South African renewable energy developer Melillo Energy Holdings. Um, The deal was actually completed through CIP's Infrastructure New Markets Fund 1. Following the close of the deal, CIP will assume complete control of the company, but with the current founders and management remaining. Melillo was founded in 2008 and has developed 440 megawatts of operating wind and solar projects, and it holds an extensive pipeline in the country, exceeding 25 gigawatts across the onshore wind, solar PV, and storage sector. This has permitted the company to take a significant share of the South African renewable market with 8%. So, Zach, I know that you're going on holiday to South Africa in a few weeks. Is this why you've picked out this story? Um, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, why don't you just tell us a bit more about the uh, South African renewables market? So, the predominant renewable power in South Africa is solar, because it's one of the leading countries in receiving sunlight across the globe. In most parts of South Africa, there's a presence of sunshine for more than 2,500 hours per year, offering significant opportunities for the solar market to exploit this. Installed solar energy capacity for South Africa in 2021 was 2.9 gigawatts and is expected to increase exponentially in the coming years. It currently accounts for over 50% share of total renewable energy mix. The South African government has been making a more concerted effort to support the upscaling of renewables in the country. They recently launched the South African Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Procurement Programme, which our own Chendwa Chintu has written a thorough analysis piece about, which you can access via our website. The programme is a competitive tender process designed to facilitate private sector investment in grid-connected renewable energy generation within the country. And of 2021, the programme has attracted about $13 billion of private capital to construct and operate 77 solar and wind facilities. Other top players in the South African market include Mainstream Renewable Power Limited, Sengen Solar, Dewey Renewable Energies, EDF Renewables, and Actiona Energia. Thanks, Zach. What else has been going on? Oh, the second news story of note was by energy company Orsted, who won a permit to build a new large-scale offshore wind farm off the coast of Sweden. The 1.5 gigawatt scheme named the Skane Wind Park, will be built 22 kilometres south of Ystad and Trollborg in Skan, Sweden. This is part of a broader effort by Orsted to develop in the Scandinavian region. At the start of the year, Orsted confirmed that it was planning to build four new offshore wind farms in Sweden. The projects, in, which include Skane, are thought to be in the very early phase of development, with planning and permitting permissions still to follow. The capacity for each farm has yet to be confirmed, 
but Orsted said that the combined capacity could be enough to cover more than half of Sweden's predicted energy requirements by the end of the decade. In addition, earlier this month, Orsted raised 2 billion via green bond issuance. The money raised will be invested in the company's renewable rollout, including its future offshore wind project. Orsted has said in the past that it wants to have 50 gigawatts of renewable capacity online before the end of 2030, with this bond greatly supporting that goal. The bond issuance was comprised of three fixed-rate tranches of unsecured green senior bonds with the maturity coming between 2026 and 2035. It's not all sunshine and roses for Orsted, unfortunately. Their mammoth Hornsea offshore project could be at risk over a tax break row. There is a risk that Orsted's 3 gigawatt multi-billion pound Hornsea offshore wind project could be pushed back over a growing row about tax breaks. The project, which is set for development off the coast of Norfolk and due to come online in 2026, has a government CFD contract already in place. However, Orsted is claiming that the project is becoming too expensive to build. Renewable UK, a trade body for the UK's clean energy industries, has stated that the delay is particularly disappointing as it may undermine the UK's target to host 50 gigawatts of offshore wind capacity by 2030. In a written statement, Duncan Clark the head of Orsted in the UK, said that since the CFD auction, which was held in 2021, spiralling interest rates in the UK and rising supply chain prices across the world have led the company to grow concerned over rising project costs. As a result, he said that the development of the project may have to be put on hold unless targeted government support, such as tax breaks, are offered to the offshore sector. We are, of course, recording this episode just before we know what's in Jeremy Hunt's budget this year, so perhaps we'll get some more clues about the direction of offshore wind in that statement. Um, we might come on and talk about that a little bit more later, but we should keep an eye on the ramifications of um, overarching government policy on key projects like this. Definitely. Um, the final news story I'd like to highlight was a deal made by Innergreen, who bought a 200 megawatt wind project from RES, backed by the Canadian Infrastructure Bank and Nord LB. Innergreen will be working in cooperation with the Cowanus First Nation-owned entity Awawis Nehiya Wewini Energy Development. Thank you, Capitan. Has gained financing from the Canadian Infrastructure Bank and Nord LB to advance the project to construction. It's thought that the CIB is investing 173 million towards the project and Nord LB is providing 98 million in debt financing. Um the project's been in development since 2017, in li- located in Hazelwood in the Saskatchewan province of Canada. The scheme is set to be the largest wind power project in the region that has historically been dominated by the coal mining sector, which Saskatchewan is attempting to transition away from towards a new clean energy-focused industry. With financial close reached, construction on the project is now slated to begin in the spring of 2023, with grid connection penciled in for the end of 2024. However, in the absence of new initiatives and an underdeveloped power grid in Canada, this is expected to hinder the growth of the wind energy market in the coming years, which may impact the project. So, thank you very much for that, Zach. It's now time to move on to some analysis, and we have with us our policy and regulation guru, Capucine. Hi, Capucine, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great. Thanks, Oliver. How are you? Wonderful. Um, So you've been looking into um, sort of a broad look at the policy and reg changes of the year so far. What's been happening? Yeah, so actually quite a lot is happening at the moment. 
So as a brief overview of uh, recent regulatory updates in North America and Europe over the last two months, first of all, the Inflation Reduction Act's provisions came into effect on January 1st this year. And as a result, things are moving fast, especially in the battery storage and hydrogen sectors. More recently in Europe, countries like France and the UK have released bills to accelerate the development of renewable financing. And last week, actually, the UK government published the conclusion of their REMA, so Review of Electricity Market Arrangements, consultation. And then at the European level, the European Commission addressed its reform on electricity market proposal two days ago. So lots of stuff going on. Let's take this one step at a time. Let's start with the US market, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. It seems like we're talking about it every week. You've done a deep dive on this for us. What can you share? Yeah, so what's obvious about the US market now is that the tax credit regime introduced by the IRA actually triggered a huge change in the feasibility of financing of project and uh, the appetite is bigger than ever. But what can be seen, what I've analysed last week, is that there's been a change in, in project deemed riskier in the eyes of investors, such as hydrogen and carbon capture storage, because these projects are now taking off. Before the enactment of the IRA, the Section 48 of investment tax credit did not apply to standalone energy storage projects. So there were many operational restrictions that limited the flexible utility of and appetite for battery projects. But this is this is changing now. So Capitine, are there any projects that illustrate this trend? There are a lot of projects underway, but the most notable is Aeolian, a portfolio company of global infrastructure partners, which last month closed the first of its kind tax equity investment in two standalone utility scale battery storage projects located in Texas. The Madero and Ignacio projects are interconnected battery storage facilities with a combined operating capacity of 200 megawatt. This is a pioneering financing as it is the first use of the investment tax credit structure by a standalone utility-scale battery energy storage system. And it is scheduled to achieve full commercial operations later this year. When operational, the site could become the largest fully merchant battery energy storage project globally, as measured by total deliverable energy. Projects like the Aeolian project that I've just mentioned are able to take off now because of all the new regulations, um, because the RA has brought a lot of financial aid, uh, financial incentives for um, projects to kick off. And I talked to a tax expert, an American tax expert at uh, law firm Auric last week about this precisely. And he was telling me that because of all these incentives now, he actually has new clients that want to get into these projects um, and that need advisory uh, on these. So it's it's good news for everything renewable related. Okay, we've got a lot to cover. So moving on quickly from the US, um, there's been quite a lot of activity in the EU in the last few weeks with their own review of um, electricity markets. So... Capucine, can you talk us through some of that, some of the trade-offs perhaps that have been made in those negotiations? Yes. 
as you say, while the European Commission consultation on electricity market reform was released this week, it is clear that the European Union is facing a set of trade-offs. So propositions in the consultation include, for instance, extending revenue caps put into place or add new ones until the price of gas goes down in order to protect consumers from high cost. But this might impact investor confidence in regulatory regime. The consultation also proposed policy options to decouple power and gas markets as a way to remove merchant upside for developers in certain countries. Do you have any examples of any countries where this is happening? Absolutely. So one way this could be done is to install two-sided CFDs as the default subsidy scheme in countries like the Netherlands and Germany that are already benefiting from a one-sided CFD scheme. However, a modeling expert who spoke at NordLB's Financing the Evolution of Renewable Energy Offtake event last week, which I attended, noted that imposing such schemes would be an even bigger challenge to merchant business models and suggested that it could crown out PPAs. So there's a lot of risk and challenges um, that remain in Europe and that the European Commission has to tackle. However, something that has been highlighted at the NordLB events last week and that we can see throughout the consultation is that there is strong support for PPAs. So this is indicating Europe's willingness to instigate structural change that will facilitate long-term and cooperative operations in the renewable energy industry. Okay. So speaking of sweeping reforms to energy markets, uh, a similar consultation has been underway in the UK. Uh, We have in the last week, seen the first response to the RIMA review of electricity market arrangements uh, published by the UK government. Capucine, what's been uh, concluded in this? As you said, Oliver, last week, we saw the results of the first RIMA consultation. So 225 respondents gave their opinion on what they think the new market should look like as 88% of respondent agreed that the current market is not fit for purpose anymore. Generators, developers, um, members of the public and academics all discounted six market propositions in favour of other reforms. The options that were that were taking off the table include local imbalance pricing, pay as bid, Dutch subsidy, equivalent firm power auction capacity payments and decentralized reliability options. One option, though, that is still very much present in the debate is whether the UK should adopt a locational marginal pricing system. Um, And that's something that I covered in an article um, a few weeks ago because there's a lot of, of talking about grid. So, yeah, this consultation is... Well, it's it's essentially a, a survey. We've got now got a list of some of the market reaction to some of the solutions which the government were proposing. Essentially, I think the big takeaway here is that everyone has agreed that market reform is necessary. So if you're looking at some of these kind of opening questions that they put in the... The the, the one I think that had the most positive response was, do you agree with our objectives for electricity market reform, decarbonising, ensuring security supply and cost effectiveness? Yes, everyone's kind of saying yes, the market needs to change to prioritise these things. Uh, well, but when it comes to the actual solutions, the, the um, 
consultation becomes a bit more divided. So options like splitting the market into uh, dispatchable and intermittent power, which is something I wrote about uh, when this was first announced last year, that seems to have divided opinion down the line. That's 69 in favour, 56 against. And again, this the one of the other options, the approach to nodal pricing has been asked in a question, questioning whether the respondents think the government should consider a local market approach. That one had uh, 57 in favour, 46 against. So within the market, it seems like these are really unsettled questions. Yeah, and not just within the respondents, but also at the Nord LB event, which I attended. Natasha Luther-Jones, International Head of Sustainability and ESG at uh, law firm DLA Piper, and and Christian Miller, Senior Associate at Aurora, uh, were both hesitant to give a very straightforward answer to whether the market should adopt nodal pricing or not. Um, everything seems extremely nuanced at the moment because um, although the UK could benefit from the nodal pricing system immensely, the transition to implementing the system into the current market would destabilise investment and opportunities. There's a lot of trepidation regarding whether to adopt this model. It certainly seems like there's still a lot of work to be done on the government side on this um, market reform, similar to the EU, in fact, who are having their, you know, a similar problem with working out how to reform their market. It seems to me certainly like people have their favourite models and uh, get, get it, getting a consensus is going to be challenging. However, one thing I will say about the REMA consultation is that I think the most uncontroversial change that was suggested was that the capacity market system in the UK needs reform and optimization? That's not a very controversial statement in and of itself, but um, there also seems to be a willingness, at least in that area, to move towards a more decentralized model for optimizing the capacity market. And one of the more popular opinions seemed to be that the current CFD system discourages the use of assets for ancillary services, which could be unlocked to better use the capacity market. Okay, so there's lots of information there from lots of different markets, lots of different government strategies. Capucine, bring this all together. What are the trends that we can take away from the year so far? One thing that is certain and that we can see clearly across all markets is that industry players want to reduce uncertainty and need clear guidelines. That's why there's such a preoccupation at the moment on trying to find the best regulatory framework, depending on the region, but also nationally, uh, nationally speaking. I think Europeans were initially a bit scared of the adoption of the IRA in the US, but that is precisely because the IRA gave greater incentives for the acceleration of project development in the renewable energy sector. And that's something that European Europeans desperately need, as we can see from the different consultations that we, we just talked about. So that's clear. So this has spurred the EU and the UK to try and adopt their own measures in order to alleviate the, the risk of the IRA from attracting renewable power producers to the US and taking away opportunities of renewable development within their own countries. Oh, precisely. Industry leaders are indeed developing their own regional and national strategies for renewables. As 
we see that greater clarity, collaboration and guidelines needed across sectors and across countries to foster the energy transition. Very good point, Capucine. I think that's an excellent point to end on. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank once again Zach for his news coverage. My pleasure, Oliver. And Capucine for your insights. Thanks. Visit the Inspiration website for more insights and analysis and daily news on the renewable and energy infrastructure sectors. This has been The Joint Venture and we will be back next week with more news and analysis. See ya. Bye.